Chapter Thirty One of Babu Jabberjee, B.A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Babu Jabberjee, B.A. by F. Ansty. Chapter Thirty One, Mekeltov versus Jabberjee continued. The defendant brings his speech to a somewhat unexpected conclusion and Mr. Witherington, Q.C., addresses the jury in reply. My aforesaid short-handed acquaintance has very fortunately preserved the literal transcript of my concluding oration, which will afford a feeble idea of the grandiloquence of my loquacity. H.B.J. Verbatim Report, Unofficial. Babu Jab. May it please your mighty honor and great notorious gentleman on the jury. It must present a strange and funny appearance to behold a young Indian B.A. provided with a big education and the locus standi of barrister-at-law, crawling humbly towards your footstools as a suppliant, and already I perceive from your benevolent and smirking visages that your hearts are favorably inclined towards your unfortunate son, and that you are too deeply imbued with serpentine wisdom to be at all bamboozled by the ad captandum charms of feminine cajoleries. Indeed, I am a poor, penniless chap, if not almost completely dead for want of funds, and if I had only been able to call my revered and fatherly benefactor, Honorable Sir Cumberbund, he would infallibly have testified. The judge, as you did not think it proper, no doubt for excellent reasons, to put Sir Chetwind in the box when you could have done so, Mr. Jabberjee. I shall most certainly not allow you to make any comments now upon the evidence he might, or might not, have given. Babu J. I beg to knuckle very submissively to your lordship's argument. The fact is that the said Sir Cumberbund, on hearing my answers when I was acting in the capacity of a harrowed toad under my friend Witherington's cross-examination, very handsomely stated that I had left nothing for him to say and begged modestly that he might be excused. But indeed, misters, I occupy but a very beggarly apartment in this fool's hotel of a world, and it is the moral impossibility for me to pay any damages whatever. Moreover, it is a well-authenticated fact that I am a shocking coward, and was induced to become affianced by haunting apprehensions of receiving a succession of severe kicks. For how, being suddenly put to my choice between being barbarously kicked and punched, or acquiring a spruce and blooming bride, could I hesitate for a moment to accept the lesser of two evils? Nevertheless, I did remain uninterruptedly devoted to the plaintiff for many weeks, until I encountered a still younger and more bewitching lady, who became the polar star to my compass-like heart. But lack a daisy, sirs, though I left no stones unturned to be off with my old love, I did not get on very fortunately with the new, seeing that she preferred an affluent young Scotch, whereby I am reduced to shedding tears in silence and solicitude between two stools. Roars of laughter. Misters, like the frog that was lapidated by thoughtless juveniles, I reply. For you it may be facetious, but to myself it is a devilishly serious affair. For, after beholding the plaintiff here, and discovering that she had advanced rather than retrograded in physical attractiveness, I made cordial approaches to her, 
but she passed me by with a superciliously exalted nose. Gentlemen, it is a terrific piece of humbug for her to allege that her heart has been infernally lacerated by my unfaithfulness, when, at this very moment, instead of lending her ears to my brief and rambling oration, she is entirely engrossed in flirtatious converse with her curly-pated juvenile solicitor. Sensation. Witherington Q.C., rising. My lord, I must really protest. There is absolutely no justification for the defendant's outrageous insinuation. I am informed by Miss Mankletov that she simply asked the gentleman sitting next to her whether he had seen her smelling salts. The judge. I fail to see, Mr. Jabberjee, what advantage you can hope to gain by these highly irregular digressions. The plaintiff is under my immediate observation, and I have seen nothing in her conduct during the trial of which you have the smallest right to complain. Bab J. I am highly satisfied by your lordship's overdictum. Not being in such a cone of vantage as your honor's excellency, I was misled by the propinquity of heads viewed from the rear. Now, before again becoming a sedentary, I am to propose a decisive test of plaintiff's bona fides in desiring my insignificant self as a spouse. Herewith I beg humbly to have the honor of renewing my formal proposal of marriage, and moreover will pledge myself in most solemn and business-like style, never on any account, whether so permitted by laws of country or vice versa, to take to myself a single additional native wife in her lifetime. This handsome offer is genuine and without prejudice." and I will take leave to remind plaintiff, in the terms of a rather musty adage, that she is not too closely to inspect the mouth of such a gifted horse as myself. Great laughter, and some sensation in court, as Jabberjee sits down. Witherington, Q.C. Your lordship will see that this, uh, rather unforeseen development renders it necessary that I should ascertain the plaintiff's views before proceeding to reply. The judge nods. Breathless excitement in court while the plaintiff's solicitor carries on an animated conversation with Mr. W. in undertones. Witherington, rising once more. Gentlemen, I have, as it was my duty to do, consulted the plaintiff respecting the unusual course which the defendant has thought proper to take. Her answer to his proposal is the answer which I am sure you will feel is the only possible one in the circumstances. Jab beams. The plaintiff, gentlemen, has undergone the severest ordeal a young woman of delicacy and refinement can be called upon to endure. Here, here, from Jab. And out of that ordeal, I think you will all agree she has come absolutely unscathed. I need hardly say that she is incapable now of harboring any unworthy sentiments of rancor or revenge. Jab beams more effulgently still. But, gentlemen, there are some injuries which, as you know, a woman may find herself able to excuse, to palliate, even to condone, but which she feels nevertheless must operate as an insuperable and impassable barrier between herself and the individual who could be capable of them. Jab's smile becomes a trifle less assured. After the disgraceful and unmanly attempts the defendant has made to evade his obligations, his disingenuous defenses, 
his insulting innuendos. After the deplorable exhibition he has made of himself in that box, and especially after the sombre picture he himself has painted of the domestic future he has to offer, after all this, I ask you, gentlemen, is it likely, is it possible, is it even conceivable that the plaintiff can retain any respect or affection for him, or have sufficient courage and confidence to entrust her happiness to such hands? Jab's face gradually lengthens. Once, it is true, under the glamour of her own girlish illusions, she was ready to expatriate herself, to endure an alien existence and strange manners and customs for his beloved sake. But now, now that her ideal is shattered, her dream dispelled, now it is too late. Gentlemen, my client's answer is, and it is one which will only command your increased respect. No, he has broken my heart, undermined my belief in human nature, cast a blight upon my existence. Miss M. sobs audibly here, and Jab is visibly affected. Much as I should like to recover my old belief in him, much as it would be to my worldly advantage to marry a wealthy Bengali barrister with talents and influence which are certain to lead to rapid promotion in his native land, Jab bows and then shakes his head in protest. He has made me suffer too much. I cannot accept him now. The learned counsel then dealt exhaustively with various portions of the case, and concluded thus. Well, gentlemen, I shall not have to trouble you with many further remarks, but I will just say this before I sit down. The defendant, amongst innumerable other ingenious excuses, has pleaded for your indulgence on the score of poverty. He has the brazen effrontery to plead poverty, forsooth, after complacently admitting, in that box, that he is earning at this very moment an income by his pen alone that might be envied by many a hard-working English journalist. I do not say this by way of making any reflection upon the defendant. On the contrary, gentlemen, I consider that it does credit to his ability and enterprise. Jab bows again. But at the same time, it disposes effectually of his allegation that he is without means. And indeed, leaving his literary gains entirely out of the question, it must have been obvious from what you have heard and seen of his manner of living in this country, that he is amply provided with pecuniary resources. Bearing this in mind, gentlemen, I ask you to mark your sense of his heartless treatment of the plaintiff, and the mental and social injury she has suffered on his account, by awarding her substantial damages. Not, I need scarcely say, in any spirit of vindictiveness, but as some compensation, however inadequate, for all she has gone through, and also as a warning to other ingratiating but unprincipled Orientals that they cannot expect to trifle with the artless affection of our generous, warm-hearted English maidens without paying, aye, and paying dearly too, for the amusement. He sits down amidst applause. Note by Mr. Jabberjee. Honorable judge is to sum up after lunch. I am highly pained and disappointed that my friend Witherington should have shown himself a perfidious, and have taken the liberty as he quitted the court to murmur the plaintive remonstrance of et tu brute into the cavity of his left ear. My solicitor, Sidney Smartle, is of the opinion that my case is looking a bit rocky, but that much will depend upon how the judge sums up. 
what a pity that owing to judicial red tapery i am prohibited from popping in upon him at lunch and importuning him to pronounce a decree in my favour end of chapter thirty one recording by todd